Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Welcome. So wonderful to be with you on this Independence Day weekend. And what we're going to do is to take a text of Scripture today that I think has direct bearing upon, upon the celebrations that are occurring this weekend by turning in our Bibles to John chapter 8, where we are going to be looking at verse 31 down through verse 36. Now, during the midst of COVID, we've been using this philosophy Flexible methods for fluid times, which will be tested this morning because I was just told where the computer's down and half my visuals then are, are not going to be shown. But what we're going to have to do then is to envision what it is that I'm illustrating, certain points along the way, and hopefully then the result is going to be that you're going to see how all this fits together in a way that's honoring to God. So you've made your way now in your Bibles to John chapter 8, Lord willing. 31. I'm going to take it down through roughly about 36. And uh, this is packed. And when all is said and done, I, I think I feel as though I, I've just scratched the surface of what's here. Because now, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens these thoughts for you and for me. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so we're going to take these verses this morning, explore them together and see the ramifications, how they relate to your life, how they relate to my life, and how this has bearing upon our national uh, dialogue as we look to our Lord now in prayer. Our Father, you are a great God. You are a gracious God. There are political freedoms. There are religious freedoms. What we want to be thinking about is how we can create a national dialogue, find an on-ramp, and make our way from talking about the flag to talking about the cross. Not isolating an Independence Day weekend in a political discourse, but rather integrating rather than isolating the discourse so that we can shift the focus from short-term to eternal freedoms, which is found in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Now, Father, whether it be in one of the services today, for those that are watching online today or in subsequent days, we don't want Independence Day exposition of your word to be time-bound, where someone might say, well, that was for the 4th of July, but rather timeless. 
because we're dealing with timeless truths, your word, but applying them, Lord willing, in a timely way uh, where things are at in our culture today. So, Father, we want to be biblically accurate, historically knowledgeable, culturally aware, politically astute, but through it all, Father, focused upon the one who sets us free, Jesus Christ. So these verses, short in number as they are, are profound in depth and breadth. So, Father, give us what we need of you as we seek you in all things. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, on this Independence Day weekend, we've come here to see Jesus, him only. And we're praying these things still again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I are making our way to the Freedom Trail in Boston. Glad you're with me. And as we start our point of departure in the Boston Commons, it's the 4th of July. Now, you've got to bear in mind that when the colonies were coming into existence and being connected, there was no Washington, D.C., you see. The hub of activity... The political discourse revolved around what was taking place both in Philadelphia, where you will find the Liberty Bell, of course, but also in the give and the take in Boston. And there, your tour guide will tell you something of significance that took place on a June, July 4th of 1826, where at the age of 90, John Adams, your second president, lay on his deathbed. While the country was celebrating Independence Day, Mr. Adams' last words before passing on, Thomas Jefferson still survives. But Adams was mistaken. For you see, Thomas Jefferson had died five hours earlier at Monticello at the age of 83. Both gentlemen, second and third presidents, passed away on the 4th of July, 50 years later, from 1776. What's temporal? What's eternal? What freedoms are short-term? What freedom is long-term? These are the sorts of things you and I need to think about. And so now we're making the Boston Commons our, our departure point. I love the trail. It's known as the Freedom Trail. If you've never done it, you got to do it. And so we leave the Boston Commons, and we make our way from that point onwards, and we pass the Massachusetts State House, onward to the Robert Gould Memorial, where the 54th Regiment of African-American soldiers are memorialized. 
We know what's ahead of us. We're going to make our way, you see, to the granary burial ground where Paul Revere's remains are, as well as the parents of Benjamin Franklin. But ponder what appears before your very eyes. You and I are standing before we get to the granary, and we're watching as people make their way down the Freedom Trail. They've got their self-guided tour maps in front of them. It's ironic how often people are on tours and they're looking downward rather than looking upward, looking around, glued to their maps. Kind of like life itself, you see. They're looking downward. And they're following this red line that will take you from where you are, roughly now about the fourth spot on, on the Freedom Trail that will lead ultimately to the USS Constitution as well as in the realms of the Boston Harbor, Bunker Hill. And all of a sudden, I nudge you. I say, look up. And you look up. And when you look up, lo and behold, what you will find is that you are standing in front of Park Street Church. Fourth stop on the road, on the, on the Freedom Trail. And in that spot, as you now look upward, what you will find is that there is this pulpit. And this pulpit on a platform extends out over the Freedom Trail. And the wise observer particularly one who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, might use this as a symbolic opportunity. Look up. You want to seize the moment as somehow you lift the idea of temporal freedom to the source of eternal freedom. And as you ponder the source of eternal freedom, God is revealed in his word Lo and behold, if it's a Thursday, somewhere around the noon hour, you see, what you will find is that there's a gifted expositor. And he will step out on that, on that podium, on that platform, which evidently now is appearing on the screen, praise God, <laughs> wondering how I was going to pull this one off. What I want you to see is that truth is descending to the freedom trail. In other words, freedom from above is being disclosed to those who are on the trail below. And now eternal freedom is breaking into political freedom. During the noon hour, students from MIT, Harvard, Boston College, faculty, business people, and a lot of tourists who are glued to their maps are not prone to look upward. They're just trying to figure out how to keep moving forward like a lot of people in this world on their own self-designed freedom trails are being seized by a voice that is beginning to explain the essence of real freedom. That's Park Street Church. I love it. Been in there. That's the pulpit. That's what extends outward, that so many people just walk right past because they're tending to look downward rather than upward, you see. 
Our objective this morning is to enter into what I would call a cutting-edge dialogue with people in our culture who have self-designed freedom trail maps. They're trying to be freed from their circumstances, trying to experience liberty from whatever it is that ails them, physically, job-wise, whatever. Our objective this morning is to get people to look upward and allow the source of true freedom to speak into our own freedom trail experiences of life. Would you do that with me? And so what we're going to do now is, 4th of July is at hand, pondering your tour guide who had just referenced a historical event of 50 years later, where a Jefferson and Adams second and third die on the same day, 4th of July, is to draw three significant considerations that I see here for Freedom Trail pilgrims and see how we can apply this to the national dialogue that takes place today. Would you do it with me? Now, we're into the text. And as we move into the text now, what I want to do is to, first of all, draw out verse 31 and 32, that as you and I, as we consider our ultimate freedom, which is found in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Begin here. Note with me the truth that produces real freedom. And you see it in 31 and 32. I'll read it, and then we'll dissect it. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Interestingly, this was quoted about two months ago in the House of Representatives. I was following the dialogue in the presentation. Let's break it down even further. In verse 30, you and I have just been informed, if you're following along in your text or device, as he was saying these things, Jesus... Many believed in him, okay? But Jesus is not shallow. Jesus knows that belief systems have got to be checked, evaluated, developed. And so now, Jesus said to the Jews in verse 31, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let's camp on that. Belief. You've got to believe. But the question is, what form of belief do these people have? Because what you will find is that these same people at the end of John 8 are going to pick up stones to want to hurl at Jesus because they believe that Jesus Christ is blaspheming when he would claim before Abraham was, I am. And the word I am was used at the burning bush in the Old Testament when God spoke to Moses, who was going to have to return to the people in bondage, needing freedom, and tell them, I am sent you. Jesus would use that statement with regard to their own need for freedom, in John 8, 
when he said, I am. And they got it. And they believed that he was now blaspheming and they wanted to stone him. How is it that you've got believers at the beginning of John 8 wanting to stone Jesus at the end of John 8? How do you explain this? We've got to go further. We've got to go further. There are three forms, three stages of belief found in the scriptures. These three stages, not all forms, are saving faith. One is believing faith. The others are not. I've laid them out for you in your bulletin insert this morning. And what is very important is that you and I distinguish what I will call forms of belief. Because not all faith is saving faith. The first form is what I will say these people are identified with at this point. One form of faith, belief, of belief known as knowledge, or in the Latin, notitia, this is the intellectual form. In other words, this is the person who has enough information to simply be able to say, I believe there's a God. Now the challenge is, is that person might readily then be identified in our culture as this person's a believer, because they believe in God. But is it a saving faith? Is it a believing faith? They might say they're a believer. Now I grew up in a Christian household. My parents loved Jesus as their Lord and Savior. During those days of growing up, it was very typical for someone to say so-and-so is a believer. And by saying that, the assumption was that person is a Christian. I would argue that in 2021, that's not the case. Just because somebody is a believer does not mean that somebody is a Christian. The question is, what form of belief are we talking about at this point? It was the world, well, it was the New York Mets. And in the New York Mets experience on their race towards the World Series back in 1973, July 9th, the Mets were... 34 and 46, 12 and a half games out of first place. The owner of the Mets baseball team met with the Mets prior to a game that day, gave them a pep rally, and all of a sudden, Tug McGraw stood up. He's the dad of Tim McGraw, country music star. Father-in-law, Faith Hill. Tug McGraw leaps to his feet and says, you gotta believe. And it was so inspiring at that point, they went on a tear and they made their way all the way through the rest of the season, moving up in the standings until eventually they made their way to the World Series and upset every prediction available and were the world champs. But the question remains, when somebody says, you've got to believe, in whom do you believe? And just what is it that you believe? Now, the challenge at this point for, for people who are our friends, children, grandchildren, is to make certain that they are moving across what I will call the freedom trail uh, of, of, of belief. If the first form of belief, knowledge, notitia, is the intellectual form, there is a second form. Assent, a census. This affirms such beliefs. This is the person who on an Easter Sunday morning would nod their head 
when the exposition is being provided and says, yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But at the same time, such information has not transformed their life experience. They have given assent to what's there in the text. But nothing has changed the freedom trail they are on. Something more has to still happen. Well, there is a third form. Trust. Fiducia. That is even a financial term. Trust involves personalizing these truths. I would argue that there are three forms of belief described in the Bible, only one of which is affirmed to be saving faith in the Bible. And the one that is affirmed as saving faith is described in Hebrews 11 like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For it is by the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are, that are visible. So let's say now, you and I are in a conversation and in a dialogue. And maybe it pertains to, let's pick the ethical subject, the sanctity of human life, which I've been part of from De Roe v. Wade, that dialogue. And let's say somebody says to you, do you believe in freedom of choice? I would argue that that is a trapdoor. Because at that point, this person is implicitly implying that he or she believes in abortion. And they're going to phrase in such a way, they want you to react, respond on what I'll call a horizontal level of belief by responding, I don't, in which case you have been now labeled. Or you say, I do, but then you try to clarify, but you're digging yourself out of a hole. How do you respond? Instead of responding, well, this is what I believe, you need to respond with, what does the scripture say? Because the bigger issue is not what I believe. The bigger issue is what God has said. You see. And I find too many Christians get caught up in this back and forth, you believe this and I believe that, and it's, it's a competition, and it's a conflict of belief. What I want to say is flip it. Instead of using a horizontal approach, utilize a vertical approach and say, in the form of a question, do you believe in the authority of God? What does God's word have to say about that? Now you're getting them to, instead of engage in your belief system, now they're going to have to engage in God's word. Now they're going to have to defend, do I or do I not believe that God's word is true? You see what I'm doing? I'm lifting us off the freedom trail where every eye is now focused downward and trying to get the eyes to look upward as if the podium is now hanging over the freedom trail of life itself. This is what I want us to be doing. Engaging people continuously in dialogue. 
sharpening their focus. Don't get caught up in, this is what I believe, this is what you believe, this is what you believe, but what do you believe about God's word? Because it's God's word that matters, not my beliefs, you see. Now, once you do that, and you have identified the three forms of belief that are described in the Bible, you can then carry on. And people are now lifting their eyes off the maps of the freedom trails that they themselves have designed as Jesus now, evaluating their beliefs, says to the Jews who had believed him, if, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Disciple, the Greek word here, mathetes, carries with the idea of a learner, one who is a follower of the teacher, Jesus Christ. The word abide is a present tense, means it's something that's ongoing. People who are followers of Jesus Christ are very word-oriented, word-based people. This is why week after week we just pick up where we left off the previous week and continue working the Bible, the text, you see. When I was involved in some Billy Graham crusades, overseeing counselors on the, on the floor, it's an, a wonderful thing to see the people coming forward to put faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's an extraordinary thing. I remember Charlie Riggs, who I've spent time talking with, who oversaw the counseling. And Charlie said, we are here not to make decisions. We are here to multiply disciples. We are here not to make decisions. We are here to multiply disciples. Decisions can be very emotionally based very impulsive response. But when there is a consistency and a continual aspect involved in this, this person's going to leave not self-focused, but rather God-centered, asking, what do I do with this? I'm going to have to start introducing others to Christ who lead others to Christ and so on. We have lifted their eyes upward off their freedom trail and now they're beginning to engage people at a deeper and more profound level. Because discipleship is a, an ongoing development as you continuously walk with Jesus. If you abide, there's a continuous aspect of that in my word. You are truly my disciples. The word truly comes from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament as Jesus spoke. It's the Hebrew word amen. In other words, what he is saying is you are amen, my disciples. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 16, God is referred to as the God of truth, but literally from the Hebrew, the God of the Amen. So at the end of a prayer, when someone says Amen, what they're really saying is, it is true, you see. Now what we need to do is to bring the Amen to the freedom trail of life. Getting people now to start looking upward on their life journey. You are amen, my disciples. And now, 
verse 32, which was quoted in the House of Representatives about a month or two ago. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the Gospel of John begins with this profound verse in verse 14 of the first chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, it's the truth that sets us free. It's Jesus Christ. Freedom. Now, build a bridge, if you will, from everything celebratory about Independence Day and political freedoms. Create an on-ramp, if you will, to eternal freedoms. Ponder this when you visit D.C., that atop the U.S. Capitol Dome in D.C. stands this statue, Freedom Lady, 20 feet high, face framed by a crest of stars, shield of stars, stripes, and left hand. And the sculptured Freedom Lady was brought to Rome. It's a great story, can't get into it. It's a fierce storm. The captain ordered some cargo thrown overboard. Sailors wanted to include this heavy statue. Captain shouted, no. Shouting above the wind, never. We will flounder before we throw freedom away. What do you do with that? What I want you to do with that is to get people to lift their eyes upward and say, to what degree am I personally, to what degree is what's taking place nationally, the process of throwing freedom away? And then in the midst of it all, ponder Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So now we begin to think this whole matter of freedom through at a very deep, profound level. It is the truth that sets us free. One of my favorite authors, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one word of truth outweighs the entire world, he said. Truth, link it to freedom. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You and I make our way to Israel. We're standing on Masada. Now, the Jews were under Roman authority at that point. Though I would say lowercase authority. And there was an incredible speech delivered by Eleazar ben Yair at Masada. Since we long ago resolved never to be servants or slaves to the Romans, nor to any other than to God himself, who alone is true, the time has now come that obliges us to make resolution true in practice. We were the very first that revolted. We are the last to fight against them. I cannot but esteem it as a favor that God has granted us that it is still in our power to die bravely and in a state of freedom. Masada. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, but the question is, 
what form of belief is he engaged with as he is teaching them at this point? If you abide in my word, he's testing them. Are they abiding in the word? Because the Older Testament points to the Messiah, Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are, amen, truly, my disciples. You will know the truth, the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth will set you free. Freedom. There's a past, there's a present, there's a future. Past tense, cross. The penalty of sin broken. You are set free from the penalty. Present tense. The power of sin is broken. You are no longer a slave to sin. Future tense. The presence of sin is removed. You have a glorified body. You're with the Lord forever if you put faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Penalty, power, presence. Past, present, future. You pull it all together and now you've got something holistically to begin to develop for people who are on their own self-designed freedom trail, their own maps for how to get from where they are to where they want to be. And all of a sudden, you got them looking upward. You doing that? Don't fall into the simplistic assumptions that when somebody says, I believe in God, that that's saving faith. Not so. Work this thing through. Now, once you and I have developed this first consideration, you're going to get pushback. Jesus is going to get pushback. You're up now, if you will, with me, to verse 33, where second of all, as you and I, as we consider our ultimate freedom, which is found in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Note not only the truth that produces real freedom, but now the question that reveals national confusion. Because I would argue this has always been the case, politically, nationally, name the nation, in this case, the Jews. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved anyone. How is it that you say, question, you will become free? Now, despite the cultural naivety at that point where they're forgetting that they are under Roman authority, where had they come from to come up with this question? You and I think to ourselves, there's something here worth talking about. So come with me now. We're going to leave either Newark or New York, and we're going to make our way to Israel. And we arrive in Tel Aviv. And we're going to move from Tel Aviv, obviously onwards, make our way towards Jerusalem. And I say, I want you to look at the Jewish flag. And you and I look upwards, because I want you to keep looking upward when you're thinking about freedom. What do you see, I ask? I see two blue lines. I see a lot of white. And I see the Star of David in the middle. Good. That's sight. 
Let's produce insight. What do those blue lines represent? You look around and you see Orthodox Jews and they're wearing talents, fringes. And the blue, of course. But I ask, do you know what those two blue lines represent? And then all of a sudden it dawns on you, those two blue lines represent the parting of the waters at the Red Sea waters to the right, waters to the left, so that the Israelites could leave their bondage found in Egypt to find freedom as they've made their way into the promised land via the supposed impossibilities of crossing the Red Sea. Freedom can look very impossible until God breaks in. And the penalty, the power, the presence of sin is addressed. But see, at this point, they've forgotten their history. In the present tense, they were, they, were under, they were enslaved, in essence, to the Roman authorities. But in the past, they were enslaved in Egypt. You could also check out Babylon in the Old Testament if you like. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been captivated, never enslaved anyone. Hello? But what you and I find so often... And cultural confusion is that people forget their history. They don't remember what they had. How is it that you say you will become free? They ask. It had been one of the bloodiest of wars. President's been assassinated. An amendment to the Constitution has been signed into law. Once enslaved men, women, children now legally emancipated. Yet amazingly, astoundingly, many continued living in fear as though they had never, it had never happened. Because in a context of hard-earned freedom, after the Civil War, slaves chose in great numbers to remain as slaves which means that after a Good Friday and after an Easter Sunday morning where freedom in Christ has been addressed historically through the death and resurrection of the Savior, people continue with their heads down following their own self-designed freedom trail, failing to take into account that the one from above is broken in to the trail below and set us free, you see. This is the sort of dialogue we need to be able to have. Ask people, what form of freedom are you talking about? Get them to start thinking very seriously about these things that matter most. Pondering about matters of who matters most. What is what I would call lowercase freedom? What is what I would call uppercase freedom? And then get them to reassess the trail they're on and the freedoms that they're embracing. Okay, you've done that. The truth that produces real freedom, the question that reveals national confusion, and listen to very carefully to the questions being posed. Ask how you enter into the dialogue culturally. And now thirdly, I want you to join with me in looking carefully at the contrast that distinguishes eternal destinies. Because there is an end to the freedom trail. And the question is, what will your ending look like? 
based upon the freedoms that you're per pursuing. They posed a cultural, national, historical question about enslavement. They've made an assumption with regard to what it means to be free. But people need to continuously check their assumptions by looking above rather than looking at their maps below. So Jesus answers. And I want you to see how this begins. He says, truly, truly. Not once, twice. In other words, for double emphasis to seize the attention of this mindset, he says, amen, amen, in the Aramaic. Now you can almost see that they're leaning forward at this point. How is he going to respond to this? How is he going to answer this? What's he going to do with this statement that we've just made? Amen, amen. Truly, truly. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, somebody who's made this a hardened habit. Everybody sins. But this individual has made this their mode of operation for navigating their freedom trail of life that they've designed, self-designed. They are lowercase freedom fighters. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. What Jesus is doing right now at this point then is that he's addressing, he is contrasting freedom versus slavery. And what does it truly mean to be free? And what does it truly mean to be enslaved? And so now I say, let's, uh, let's head over to D.C. We're back in the States and we'll go now to the National Archives. As we make our way into the National Archives, I'd love to be able to explore with you for a few moments what the Founding Fathers believe that our rights as human beings come from God and not from the King, not from the state, not from lowercase authority, uppercase authority. Where the Declaration, the Founding Fathers declared their beliefs about the relationship between individual rights, didn't they? and human freedom, and then boldly proclaim that these truths are self-evident. And they affirm that people are endowed by their whom? Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What interests us is that as we build a bridge between, from the flag to the cross, because flag is lowercase, cross is uppercase, we don't stay with the political. We simply use as an on-ramp to get to the eternal. Declaration of Independence contains four references to God. Lawmaker, creator, supreme judge, protector. Do we have an example of somebody who knows how to do an on-ramp well, politically? President John Quincy Adams made the connection giving a speech on a 4th of July in 1837 when he queried with these thoughts, is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission? That it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity? In other words, what he was doing was that he was making his way from celebrations of the flag to the worship of the one who died on the cross. Oh, he celebrated with them, 
But he didn't stay there. Neither can you, neither can I in our, in our national conversation. We've got to lift people's eyes from the Freedom Trail maps upward to where true freedom comes from, you see. So you use Independence Day weekend as starting points for quality conversation. In the National Archives building, the ink of the Declaration of Independence document is so severely faded that the signature of John Hancock is barely even legible. And when you have a tour guide, they're typically going to say, it continues to fade, but no one can do anything about it. Freedom is not meant to fade when your freedom is uppercase and rooted in Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior. Now, here's what you've got to do at this point, then. In your national dialogue, in your personal relationships, you contrast the slave versus the son, that which is enslaved versus the essence of what it means to be freed, the slave, in verse 35, does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And now you are pointing people upward to Jesus Christ. It's a classic story. Classic. Elderly man, great wealth, dies without a will. No relatives. The state auctions off his estate. Elderly woman comes to the auction, bids on the first, most ordinary item there. It's a picture of the old man's son. The son's died many years before. The old man had loved the son. She bid, easily won the picture. Nobody else even bid. Someone asked why she bid on the picture, and then she explained that many years ago, she had been given the son... She was the son's nurse, you see. She had been given, him the, given the responsibility to care for him. She had grown to love him. Well, as she collected the picture from the auctioneer, the nurse felt a bulge on the back of the frame. She lifted a piece of paper attached to the back of the frame. She found a will. And the will read as follows. I leave all of my possessions to the person who holds dear the memory of my son by buying this picture. So in verse 36, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You found the truth, you addressed the question, you set up the contrast, and now you and I are standing at Park Street Church. We're on the Freedom Trail. And while everybody's walking by and they're pondering the Freedom Trail and how to get from A to B to C to D and onwards, the granary is coming your way. Paul Revere's remains are there. All of a sudden, you point upward. People begin looking upward. And there, symbolically, extending over the Freedom Trail is this extraordinary platform with a pulpit where truth is being communicated and wisdom from above is now addressing the life found below. 
God breaks in and you're pointing people to real freedom. Let's stand together. So, Father, this morning we have just scratched the surface. Forgive me for where I've fallen short. I ask now, Lord, that if there are any people who are, who are trying to find freedom in all the wrong places, using all the wrong means, self-designed maps, self-designed freedom trail, looking downward, that now, Father, we can seize their attention, force them to look upward and find where true freedom is found. The one who sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins sets us free. Free from the penalty. Free from that power. Free from that presence. Freedom that is found exclusively in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And for this, Father, on this Independence Day weekend, on this 4th of July, we embrace eternal freedom and give all praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.